Well, I've never preached this word anywhere else before because God gave it to me for you. All right? I didn't just pull it off my laptop. Jonathan will laugh when I start reading some of the texts because it looks like I've engineered it, but I didn't. Um, I started in Psalm 103 this week and I ended up keeping that but having a layer over the top. It's like one of those good old sweeties. You know at Christmas we get them tubs, right? Everyone has their favourite. Uh, you're probably thinking of your favourite now, maybe. I, I like those purple ones, you know, the little nut in. And, you know, you, you raid the tin, don't you, and get, get your favourites out before anyone... Well, I do anyway. It's part of the areas of my life I'm still working on with Jesus. This has got another scripture over the top that wraps the Psalm 103 chocolate in the middle. I'm going to talk about the recreation of youth. Um, Before I do, let me prefix it with this. I was a young ornithologist. Does anyone know what one of them is? Twitch. I was a young ornith. I was in the young ornithologist club with the Royal Society Friendship of Cruelty Birds (RSPB). I, I knew that the bee hummingbird was the smallest bird on the planet. I knew the bird with the largest wingspan. I, I knew about mallards and everyone knows about mallards, mandarin ducks and guillemots and kittiwakes and all, the, all of those. The, I've forgotten it all now. Puffins, pelicans, penguins. This week, the Lord really laid on my heart the idea of the eagle in Psalm 103, verse 5, where it says, He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And he really put that on my heart for you, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I thought, what does that phrase, like the eagles, mean? By the way, I'm giving you a preamble of the chocolate. We're not on the wrapping yet. Like the eagles. Well, if you know about eagles, you know they lose their feathers. The, small, the smaller birds of prey lose them all at once in the summertime when the prey-predator instinct's the easiest, when it's easy to catch the prey. But the eagles, big eagles, are like golden eagles. They only lose some of their feathers. And when they're damaged, those old feathers that have been broken or fallen off, or get replaced. The image here is restoration from being broken, burned out and battered to looking majestic and strong. If you Google it and look at what we would call the molt of the eagle, you'll see a scraggly battered bird getting robed again in majestic feathers. It's quite a sight to behold. I just wonder who in this room feels a bit bedraggled spiritually, a little bit worn out emotionally, maybe physically needs a touch from God. Rather like, go and Google it today. The birds that are ready to get their feathers replaced look shocking. Do you ever have a bad hair day? I got my hair cut yesterday. Lewis said, Dad, get your hair cut. You look like Sonic the Hedgehog. So I just have to dye it blue. I thought, <laughs> Ministry of Encouragement. I love, actually love his little quips he has with me now. I love his personality that's coming out. But have you ever had a bad hair day? This is spiritually what can happen to us. We can become broken. We can become wearied by life. Life gives us a kick in the teeth and we're just like that bird without the feathers. And then God gives us an image in scripture that he wants to restore us. It's quite an amazing transformation 
to look majestic again. To look strong and powerful again. To look dangerous again. Can we go to the next slide? God wants to give us fire. Is there another slide? Next one. Can we click on? Sorry to drop that on you. God wants to put our fire back in us. Look at that one. Swooping to catch his prey. Many of us are not really, to quote Terry, Terry Henry, Terry Henry, we've not really got our va-va-voom. Do you remember that advert years ago? Get your va-va-voom back. We've not really got our va-va-voom. We're not in the flow. But look at that one on the right. He's really got his va-va-voom back. God wants to restore the brokenhearted. God wants to put back into place that which was broken off you by life. Some of your feathers are broken today. God wants to restore you. You know, I, I really believe in a God of the supernatural today. I just, before we even get into the word, tell you that Jesus can do anything today. June and July, I saw blind people seeing two separate services. God is a God of the impossible. Are you hearing me, church? And it wasn't that I was feeling spiritually on fire. In fact, I was worn out and wanted time out, but God turned up. Are you ready? So don't look at me or look at one another. Well, God can't do it today. I'm just not feeling it today. Let me tell you the biggest miracles I've seen in my life. I wasn't feeling it that day. It's a good job Jesus was. Because Jesus, whether you feel him or not, church, biblically, Jesus is in this room. Where can I flee from your spirit, the Bible says. And so let's just shake off the lethargy that says God does it this way and in this box and he can't move this way because I don't feel good. To no, God is great and good and kind and faithful and close to those who are brokenhearted and contrite in spirit. He's here today. And he wants to touch your life. Here we go into the wrapping before the chocolate. Jonathan, don't smile when I read this text. I did not put it in for you. The Lord gave it me. 1 Samuel 30. I had to smile when I read down, actually, John. It actually had this phrase in it. I thought, oh, here we go, Lord. He's speaking again. You'll know what I'm talking about when I get through it. 1 Samuel 30, verses 1 to 8. David destroys the Amalekites, is the title. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now, the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Good word, Billy. David's two wives had been captured Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. They turned on their leader. Quite a pressured time for David, isn't it this? I'll read on. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Some translations say he encouraged himself. In the Lord his God. Some of the translations say he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. But David did it to himself. It says David encouraged himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. We're going to get into that. That's the chocolate we're getting to. 
Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Hamilak, bring me my ephod, bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Church, have you ever wept aloud until you have no strength left to weep? That's what the Bible said happened in that moment. They wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever done that? I have. When your gut-wrenching tears come out from here and you find that you get to an end point in your emotional brokenness and there's nothing left to come out. It's called being spent, broken, emotionally. These experiences, unfortunately, are not usually for public consumption. They're the times where we go through trials and tests, where God is at work, in spite of the challenges we're facing, on our character, on our heart, because everything is father-filtered. Even if it's an attack of the devil, because God is sovereign, he has to have allowed it, biblically, and he's overseeing the process of your transformation as you walk through the shadowlands of your suffering and saying, I know how much you can take, little Marine, I'm going to dunk you in the water again until you're a tough soldier for the next level. You're in your training zone. God, God, this, is, this is what it talks about in the scripture about the word piratson in the Greek. It says, no piratson, no test has overtaken you, which is common, not common to man. But with the testing comes a way of escape. You see, all tests, all trials that the believer goes through are commonly experienced across the world by other believers in different forms. And yet still, God is allowing them to shape the child of God. He is making the church strong. You feel like the church is on its back. What I want to say to you, what I saw in the spirit as we were worshipping, was a church alive. I saw an entire, I, I will share this. I don't know the fullness of it. It was in the moment in your church. I saw, do you know one of these huge tents? Like the 1950s healing revivals, Jack Coe and Old Roberts and people like that. I saw a tent full of people, full, thousands. I saw a tent full of people, and I saw, Jonathan, you come onto the platform and speak to the people. And we are, in our minds, stuck in a rut thinking this is it's this far and no further, but God is a big God. Are you hearing me, church? He is a big God. I mean, so I'm going to have to get to this chocolate pretty soon because some of you look like I need, I need to preach you happy. Forgive me, I'm not trying to be offensive. But the despair of life, the dark places we've been in, they overwhelm us and sometimes we feel like we want to stone Significant others. You can smile now. <laughs> Have you ever been in that place where people, you, I mean, it's usually significant others, it's people you love. We hurt people we love the most. Because we think we can get away with it because they'll stay with us, but God knows that we've got to temper ourselves a bit better. David's men wanted to stone him. 
He's really vulnerable in his leadership. David, you've led us into a hole. What are you doing? We've lost everything following you. So David had only one place to go. David encouraged himself. David strengthened himself. David found strength in the Lord. Look, I'm overseeing at the moment three churches. Pastors, teams of pastors, elders, people, their communities they reach. I don't believe that's a scratch of what family church will see in the future. But I feel personally the pressure of the enemy in this season on me like I've never felt it before. Because Satan is aware more of the plan of God sometimes, and I'm not suggesting he's mystic Meg, but he's hearing prophetic voices in the church speak all over of the good things God is about to do. And he's aware of the fact that God is planning good for his people. And he's trying to abort the child now. Do you hear, the, do you hear what I'm saying in terms of the metaphor? He's trying to stop it now because God is on the move. Aslan is on the move. God is about to change things. He's going to turn up. And the devil had wished he'd never picked a fight with the church. Because the church is a glorious army, an army resplendent with banners. And she will get off her back and rise to the full measure of the stature of Christ and she will change this nation. I'm not saying that as rhetoric to get you all whooped up. I believe that with my whole heart. In fact, I would go as far as to say, I know this is coming. But I've been in a place in recent years of such discouragement in spite of the fruit. Blind eyes are popping open and I'm feeling weary. But let me say to you, hang in there. God is on the move. And it was never dependent on us to fulfill the task. Anyway, it's dependent on the Lord Jesus Christ. With God, all things are possible. But it's with God for those who believe. So what about you? You ever wished you could go back to your old life? Fancy going back to the same old joke. I'm going to go back to the pub. My mates I used to throw the darts with. I didn't, but I'm just giving you an image. I'm a terrible dart player. There's lots of injuries last time I played. Not really, but I do. I, I do well to hit the board. Have you ever wished you could return to Egypt? Another Bible metaphor, the same thing. Have you ever wished you could go back fishing? Have you ever sat there and thought, I've had enough of them lot? And him, and her, and her, and her. I just want to go. I've had enough of this Christian. Jesus, I'll keep the church. Look. Give me Jesus. We say, take the world, but give me Jesus. A lot of Christians were saying, take the church. <laughs> it's because our hearts need fixing. Our feathers need to be grown back. Our mind needs to be renewed. We go back to our old ways to bring us comfort. But as the exhortation came out today from Jonathan, I think it was, as he said, why, why do we go back to the things that God never wants to refresh us with? They don't meet our needs. Only Jesus meets our needs. You know, unless you've had the sense of wanting to return to fishing, to use the disciples' life as an analogy, you've probably never made an impact to the level God wants you to. It's only those who feel like giving up who actually were making a difference. The devil can leave alone people who don't cause him trouble. But there are some people in this room who get up and the devil's like, oh, here we go again. Here, here we go again. 
please just stay in your bed, lie down. I've had enough chasing little demons around to chase you around. Just relax, calm down. Don't go to church today. Church is faithful but tired. If you had a hashtag, it'd be faithful but tired. Let's be honest. There's such a spiritual battle in these days that there's a great deal of holy fatigue within the church, amongst leaders and laity alike. Many want out. We're seeing that in numbers that arrive in churches these days since COVID. But God wants us to press on and retrieve all of our losses in Jesus' name. So the only way we're going to do that is to follow David's pattern. David, let's go through them, encouraged himself in the Lord. David inquired of the Lord. And what's the third one? David recovered everything. Now I want to focus exclusively on the fact that David encouraged himself in the Lord. The idea of David inquiring of the Lord or David recovering all his losses is easily understood. I think we know how to, in many respects, and if you don't, you can speak to Jonathan and Kath or other people you, ex- you, you respect in this room about the pursuit of his presence, the pursuit of his plan for your life, the pursuit of truth in the word of the Bible. Inquiring of the Lord, seeking his face. You can grow in it, of course, but it's, 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 not, it's not really rocket science. We go after God. We read the Bible. We pray. We stay around Christians. We find his will in a worship setting. But encouraging ourselves in the Lord so that we would be, have, have the strength to even inquire of the Lord and go after recovering all our losses. Well, I'm not, so, I'm not so sure the church really very good at encouraging themselves in the Lord. I'm not so sure you probably are good at encouraging yourself in the Lord. Because people in this room, they're prophetically saying to you, hey, listen, you know that sin that you're ashamed of that makes you feel broken and rejectable to God? Why are you hiding in the shadow lands? That's what the prophetic voice was saying. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. Why why are you hiding? Well, I was afraid because I heard your voice. I was naked and I was ashamed. Who told you you were naked? You hear the image of an ashamed Christian hiding from the voice of God who loves them. This is where a lot of church folk are in this moment. Maybe you're like that right now. But 1 Samuel 30 says, David recovered everything. Can we say those two words again? David recovered everything. The Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing. Younger old boy or girl, plunder or anything else had been taken. David brought everything back, 1 Samuel 30, 18 and 19. But the first step on his journey was that he needed to encourage himself in the Lord, we're moving to the chocolate inside the wrapper. So how do you encourage yourself in the Lord? How do you pick yourself up by the bootstraps in Jesus' name? How do you do what David did? I'm going to get to a psalm written by David where in his later life, his elderly commentators say when he writes, this seems to give us his time-earned wisdom about how he encouraged himself in the Lord. Let me prefix the reading of that psalm with this. Have you ever spoken to yourself in the mirror? Sorry, it's not, it's not a mental health crisis if you have. I, I've done it once in my life. I was doing the funeral of a little boy in COVID season who died of cancer at four. There was about 20 to 25 people in the room. That's all the, the regulations would allow. Big, strong men fell into the, fell 
into the room in grief. Could hardly get to the chair. There was groaning and crying. Sat on the chair. There was no Christian element in the service. I was preaching a message called The Gospel According to Ed Sheeran because that's the music they brought the casket into. I'm preaching to unbelievers who are saying things like, go and build Brio bricks in the sky. How do you meet that need in that moment? It's being live streamed out onto the internet to all the people who couldn't come. There's over 100 people stood outside waiting to greet the grieving party. I looked myself in the mirror that morning and said, if you cry today, <laughs> it's the only time I've ever done this to myself, I will punch you in the face. And it was that so much of an emotion, because I'm, I'm soft, all right? I'm really, really soft. So it was the only way, and I really meant it. It was like I became two people. I said, I will punch you in the face. <laughs> I'm sure there'd be people, Bob's waving his face, I'm sure there'd be people who queue up for that anyway. There's one little boy in the moment who, who is his brother, I was fine because I was doing everything. No one in the family had the strength to do anything in that service. And then I was fine until the brother, who was about nine years old, broke. I nearly bit a hole in the inside of my lip. Because I had to keep it together. When you're doing a funeral, you have to keep it together. You can't fold when they're breaking. You have to lead them through. It's for them. For the, You're taking them through a journey of grief. That's what a good shepherd would do. I was literally like that. I think I left a hole in my cheek, not wanting to cry. And again, reminding myself of what I'd said to myself in the mirror. If you cry, I will punch you. Some of you said, well, you, should have, you can't in those moments, not, 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 not when everyone else is falling apart. Well, David spoke to himself in the mirror in this psalm we're going to read. David gave himself a right good talking to He wasn't in a grief moment like I experienced, but he's talking to himself in the mirror. Particularly when you start to study the Hebrew. He's looking at himself and he's saying, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And the Hebrew's got this idea of, praise the Lord, oh my own throat. You, the one in the mirror, you praise the Lord. In his old age, all my innermost being, he's talking to himself. Praise his holy name. You listen to me. He's stirring himself up in the Lord. Giving himself a telling off almost. Talking to a coach, like a coach on the sideline. Putting a harder tackle. Come on. Talking to himself. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. He repeats it. He's probably needing it at this moment. And forget not all his benefits. He's elderly. Maybe he's struggling with his memory. He's telling himself, I will not forget what the Lord has done for me. Forget not all his benefits. And then he starts to list what the Lord has done to him. Who forgives all your sins. Wow, we're starting to get into a good place now, David. He's preaching himself happy. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with love and compassion. Can you imagine him telling himself this? Who satisfies your desires with good things, David. So that your youth is renewed like that bedraggled eagle we spoke about. Like the eagles. Like the Ziklag story which I read. David in Psalm 103 is encouraging himself again in the Lord. He's trying to retrieve all the good things the Lord has done to him. The Lord has been so gracious and forbearing with David. He called David a man after my own heart, but David was an adulterer. He was complicit in murder. He was self-interested. His family was a mess, but God loved him. 
because he had a heart for God. Can I say, there's people in this room, your life is a mess, but you have a heart for God. And God loves you. It's very easy to see in the pain of the moment, where is God in this mess? But let me reiterate what the Bible is very clear on. God loves you. And because he loves you, and I'll repeat what that is actually in the Hebrew of this verse, he is a faithful presence with you on your life's journey. David is keen to tell himself, don't forget this, David. Forget not all his benefits. Eyeballing himself in the mirror. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Every part of me, I'm going to read in the Hebrew now. Bless his transcendent name. Bless Yahweh, I tell myself. That's what the Hebrew literally says. I tell myself and do not forget all his benefits. Bless Yahweh, I tell myself. He is the one who has forgiven all, has forgiven, past tense, all, past tense, all. How many of my sins? All my sins. Who has, past tense, we're going to get into this, cured all my infirmities. The one who has claimed back my life from the pit. Who has crowned me, listen to these words, literal Hebrew translation, with loyal love. Loyal love, faithful presence in your life, irrespective of performance. Loyal love. You think God wants to beat you over head. God wants to crown you, honor you, love you, dote on you, embrace you, put the robe on you. Like in Luke 15, isn't he a good God? Isn't he a kind father? Isn't he committed in spite of our mess? Isn't he with us? Isn't he for us? Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's talking about the courtroom of our failure. God is for us. In the mucky mess of our life, he's on our side. He's not against us because of our sin. He's fighting with us against our sin. Isn't he a good God? Isn't he faithful? He's a loyal God. He's a loyal, faithful God, and he's for you. Hallelujah. It says, it goes on to say in verse 5, literally the Hebrew says, the one who has filled your existence with good things so that your youth has come back new as an eagle's. Are we going to get into this? We're going to pick it as best I can in the short time I've got. Let's start and go through that list of benefits. He tells an old self in the mirror to remember. Forgives all your sins. I want to tell you, church, one of my favorite Bible verses is Hebrews 10, 14. And I'm going to read it to you. And if you miss it once, I'm going to read it a second time because this is a memory verse that you need to get between your ears, particularly when you beat up on yourself for your Christian performance. Here you go. Are you ready? Have you got ears up and eyes towards me? I used to be a teacher. Let me see your faces. Come on, class. Oh, hallelujah. I love this verse. For by one sacrifice... He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. 
Oh, what a faithful God. What a finished work. Paid in full. Tetelestai. John 19.30. Jesus said, it is finished. Greek perfect tense. It is perfectly perfect. It is completely complete. I've done it all. And he says, at that point, I've knocked the devil out. I'm giving up my spirit. I'm going home. And I'm going to give death a kick in. It is finished what we call the atonement, the covering, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, the finished work of the cross, the beautiful saviour, the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God. He came, he did it, and he left. He did his job. He came, for this hour I've come. Father, glorify your name. I've glorified it, and I'll glorify it again, the Lord said. So let me say to you, church, all your sins are forgiven. Past, hello, here's some good theology. Present and future. That doesn't mean we live however we want. That doesn't mean we have grace that covers all sin, that gives you the lifestyle of an unbeliever. It's like we are trying to pursue the Lord. The Bible says, pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We live in a way that we go after someone. John was a policeman once. There have been times when he pursued people in a car. If he'd given up the chase, he'd have lost the sight of them. A, the, the journey of a Christian is a pursuit of the divine. But there's a word that I love called covenant. And it's sealed in the most powerful element that's existed on planet, the blood of God's own son. I... I there's a great song out there by Bethel to it's called Only by the Blood or the Blood. It's, I think it's just the blood. Oh, mm. The finished work of the cross. He, he told us he was going to do it. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel in those days, declares the Lord. I'll put my law on their mind. I'll inscribe it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Okay, we've got something happening to our hearts. There's laws being written. How's he doing that? Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. It's not a very lively heart, is it? And I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll move you. I'll move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. I'll move you. I'll move your heart to follow me, to keep my decrees to be careful to keep on with us. I will be the engine in the car that gives your spiritual life momentum. It's what Paul calls the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, who's made us free from the law of sin and death. It's like the difference between aerodynamics in a helicopter and gravity. All the time, the law of sin and death is pulling you towards the TV or the food in the cupboard or the drink that you get drunk or whatever. It's false gods. Idols that comfort us temporarily and then we're left feeling empty. But the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus takes us up away from what is normal for human beings to fall into sin. And he lifts us. He lifts us high to where he is. Actually, the thing is, he puts us where we already are. I'm going to explain that phrase in a minute. in the next section on diseases. Let me say this. The cross and the spirit are bound eternally. 
That's why Paul writes in Galatians 3, when did you receive the Holy Spirit? When you saw that Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. When I use words to paint a picture before you Galatian believers, when did the Spirit of God fall on you? They're reading the epistle and they're hearing the epistle and it's like, yeah, we know, we remember that day. It was when you taught us about the cross. See, a lot of Christians have got this misunderstanding that I get the Spirit when I'm performing well as a Christian. When I'm a good little Christian that's performing like a seal balancing a ball on my nose for the Lord. You get the Spirit by grace, through faith. It's a gift of God, so you can't boast about the presence and power and anointing and miracles and signs and wonders. Jesus does it through you. You get the Spirit when you observe Christ crucified and say, it was enough. I don't need to be religious anymore. I'm not a performing seal. I'm accepted in the beloved Jesus. Now with all my mess? But Lord, I'm a sinful man. Peter in the boat in Luke's gospel. Go away from me, Lord. Completely ignores Peter. He doesn't even take him on with that. Because it's not your performance that determines your state. It's not what you did. It's what Christ did on the cross. And getting Christ on the inside will change your world, your worldview, your outgoing. It is the Spirit of God that Ezekiel prophesied, moving you to follow him, to walk in his ways, to live a life above sin, calling you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But it's a choice to obey the inner promptings of the Spirit. No spirit in you, no child of God. Let me ask you a question as a side point for this message. Do you know that you're filled with the Holy Ghost? Are you a child of God? Have you been saved by grace through faith? If not, you need to give your life to Jesus today. And we'll give time for that. I've got to move on for the sake of time. He forgives all your sins and he heals all your diseases. I love the past tense in the Hebrew. It says, he has cured all of your ailments. There is something profound in that statement that Christians bulk on because they, they have their experience in life, particularly related to healing or not, as their tutor that tells them what to believe. And I want to suggest to you it's very important, particularly on the idea of healing and suffering, which are unfortunately bedfellows in this cursed world, you have to ascribe to the teachings of Scripture over your experience. The more that you do that, the more healings and miracles you will see. When I moved from believing there was just God occasionally randomly healing people, 10%, 10 to 20% of the people I prayed for. When I shifted into believing that the cross was a finished work for all man's ruinous consequences related to their sins went up to 60 to 80%, and I kid you not, that is a true statement. The people I pray for for miracles. One elder was concerned about that theology and said to me, maybe if I'm not healed, maybe I'm not forgiven. I wanted to challenge my theology. And I get that understanding. It's very logical to presume that. And I want to just walk you through this. It says in the Bible verse we just read in Psalm 103, he has cured all of our ailments. Okay, so... 
Why do people who are Christians not get healed? Why do they pass away? We'll come to that. If he has healed me, according to the scriptures, where did he heal me and when did he heal me? Let's step to the side of this. He healed you at the cross. How do I know that from scripture? In Leviticus 16.22, on the Day of Atonement, a goat is released into an uninhabited land. The priest lays hand on it. He says, on you be all the Avon, not Avon calling, Avon is the Hebrew word for iniquity. On you be, be all the lipstick, lipstick painted goats. On you be all the Avon of the people of Israel to an uninhabited land. In other words, all the mess ups, all the scrubs, all that came in, sickness, sin, death, Satan's control, off you go, goat. It was a symbol of God removing from the people sin and all the ruinous consequences of sin. That's why in Isaiah it says that the Lord laid on him, Isaiah 53, 6, the the iniquity of us all. What Derek Prince notes is that the sins that we've committed and then, then with them all the ruinous consequences that flow out of those sins have been taken on the back of Jesus. That's a theologically sound understanding based on the images, what we call the shadows in the Old Testament that point to the fulfillment in Christ in the new. So why am I still sick and not healed? Why is person X still sick? not healed. Wasn't that elder's question to me valid? Maybe if I'm not healed, maybe I'm not forgiven. I responded to that elder and said that he was looking at the problem the wrong way. The wrong way around. It's because I am forgiven that I can expect healing. Now, let's just put a little bit of a extra bit in this before I put the final seal on it. But what, what about those who are not healed, Pastor? Romans 8.30 says, Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. You're going to have to stay with me for this bit. Those who he justified, he also glorified. When did he do it? Past tense. In other words, he did it in Christ. So it, what am I saying here in relation to healing? Romans 6 says, you were buried with him in baptism into death. You were raised up, Colossians 3, to sit with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see how when Paul uses the idea of in Christ, he identifies the work that Jesus did of being your life with him in terms of the atonement. It's already happened. There's a great theologian called Raymond Brown who talked about the finished work of Christ on the cross when he says, it is finished. He uses this phrase, and you don't have to understand it, it's fine, but he says glorification is all of one piece in John's gospel, in John's writings. What did he mean by that? He meant that when Christ did the work, he did it once and for all, for everyone, for all time, and he finished that work. And so when Raymond Brown is talking about the glorification that Paul spoke about in Romans 8, the one that I've just mentioned, he's saying that if Christ died, then we died. If Christ was buried, then we were buried. If Christ ascended, then we were ascended. If Christ dealt with our sins, our sins are dealt with. If Christ paid for our sicknesses, then our sicknesses are paid for. The problem with some of this results-based theology that we have, in other words, my experience determines what I believe rather than the Bible, is that we're catching up sometimes with what has already been achieved in Christ. A good example would be, in a different way, God said to Israel, that land belongs to you now. But they had to possess the land. They had to move from the shadows to the sunlight. They had to intentionally go towards it. Now, now I, 
I, the more I contend for the miraculous, the more healings and miracles I see. But I have to put one disclaimer at the end of this teaching. That is not often taught by those who preach this healing in the atonement. And it's this, that not everything is fixed this side of eternity. Did you hear what I just said? There's a mystery in God's economy of him having already done it. And whenever a healing or a miracle breaks into the now, it's because heaven broke into the now. The not yet came into the now. It's what theologians call realized eschatology. In other words, heaven comes to earth. That's why Jesus said, pray as in heaven, so also on earth. What am I trying to say? Let's summarize it because we're all over the place then. I'm saying that Jesus has done it all for your healing. The more you press into him, the more supernatural things you'll see. But some people won't be healed. Some people will even die. Did you fail? No, it's a mystery. And I have no answer for it. But I know what I want to preach is that the cross is a finished work for healing, for forgiveness of sins. And all that Jesus did is finished. Because if you think about it, sin came in and along with it, sickness. So if Christ dealt with my sins, he certainly dealt with the consequences of sins in humankind. And so the now and the not yet tension will always exist over this, the heaven versus earth experience, but it doesn't mean that we haven't got it already in the finished work of the cross. Does this make sense? There's a difference between owning it and receiving it. Some people throw it out, well, they've received their healing because they've gone to glory. That is actually a reality too, theologically. Because one day God promises to make all things new and restore everything. Can I go on, John? I've got a few more to do. So he forgave all our sins, he healed all our diseases, contend for the miraculous, believe that God did it in the cross. Don't ask questions when it doesn't happen, you didn't fail. All right? He redeems our life from the pit. What does that mean? He's rescued you from the darkness of Satan's rule. I once led a Satanist to Christ. He was a drug dealer as well. He came to the front and the girl said, pray for him. She was very agitated. It's like, all right, come. Inside I'm thinking, calm down. We'll get, we'll get to him. Came over, he had these eyes as black as coal. He said, I've given my life to Satan. I've written a contract to the devil. I found myself at the front. I've never had that John before. <laughs> Satanist comes and sits down in front of church. He's looking at me with really black eyes. And I found myself saying, well, Jesus is better. Do you want Jesus instead? And he said, yeah, I love Jesus instead. And so I laid my hands on him. And I said, renounce Satan and all his ways. And when you say it, mean it. And I was very strong with him when I said that. And he said, I renounce Satan and all his ways. His black eyes changed to light blue. Genuinely happened. He started to sweat. I've never seen this before. Pour him with sweat. So I laid my hands on him. He went downstairs at the coffee time and said, hugging everything that moved. He'd not been in church before. It was just that God had come in. Didn't know why he was hugging everyone. It's not really. God had come in. It's like Zacchaeus, if I've wronged anyone. It's like, and Jesus would have probably said over him, salvation has come to this house. God's rescued us from the domain of Satan and brought us into the kingdom of the son of his love. That was a pit, wasn't it? No point going back to our own habits to comfort ourselves. That was a hole that you were in before you knew Jesus. The world has nothing to offer as came out in this service. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the sunny loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Number four, he doesn't just forgive our sins, heal our diseases or redeem us from the pit. He crowns you with love 
and compassion. As I said to you, the Hebrew translation is he is a faithful presence. He's one who presents loyal love to you every day. He's loyal to you, you know that? Is that nice? It's a terrible adjective, nice, isn't it? Is that good to know he's loyal to you? What a faithful God. Do you remember that song? What a faithful God have I. Absolutely love it. But isn't it true? What a faithful God. He sticks to us. When the Lord reveals his memorial name to Moses, Moses says, who shall I tell me has sent you when I go to Pharaoh? He says, tell him that I am who I am. Yadhevahe. Tetragrammaton, the four-letter word that when the Hebrew scribes write it, they have to sing out each letter in honour to it. They have to do a ritual bath before they write it. Yad, he, va, he, honour. Because it's his memorial name. What did you mean, Moses? What did God mean when he said, that is my memorial name? Well, most commentators agree that what God was showing to Moses was that he would be a faithful presence. In Moses' journey, which is what we've got in our psalm, loyal love. You know, so when you get up in the morning and you like kick the cat, I don't have a cat, maybe you kick a cat, don't kick cats, by the way, and you're feeling down spiritually, don't assume your feelings determine how God thinks about you. Don't determine that your mindset's indicative of the way the Lord is thinking. The Lord loves you, is for you, is with you. He's a faithful presence and he wants to hear faithful prayers. Father, I'm feeling rotten today, but you're a good God. I want you to turn my life upside down for your glory. I want you to change the world through my life today. When I step out to work, I've had a bullying boss for years. Someone's got to hear that today. I've had a bullying boss in my workplace, but you're with me. You're in me. You're on me. Let me bring a light into the workplace. Do you hear what I'm saying? Start being expectant in your prayers. He crowns you with faithful, loyal love and affection. Fifth one, final one. He's uh, in two parts. <laughs> he satisfies your desires with good things. I love the literal translation. He fills your existence with good things. Sometimes it's good church and here's a little bit of a practical teaching to count your blessings. Do you remember that song? Count your blessings, make them one by one. I'm not a very good singer. And you will surprise you what the Lord has done. I was out on a muddy boots walk the other day in the pouring rain with my dog, slipping and sliding in farmer's fields. Dog's like this, I'm like this, nearly put my ankle out. It was a horrific dark day. There was nothing to be praising God about, but I found myself worshipping Jesus, thanking him that I'm slipping in the mud. <laughs> Honestly, I did. And my ankles work, Lord. I found myself, and I can breathe because I had terrible asthma as a kid. And I went, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. And I was just worshiping the Lord and just remembering in the ordinary, God has been very good to me. Uh, you can either curse that you're slipping in the mud or you can rejoice that you have mobility. It's time to start praising the Lord in every circumstance and recognize God has been good to us. He's filled our existence with good things. Every mouthful that you taste and enjoy, hasn't God been good? I, I left the house too early the other day and found myself pulled by the siren voice of the two golden arches. It was like an oasis in the desert and became acquainted with something quite amazing. A, a double sausage and egg McMuffin. <laughs> I mean, I'm putting that in my mouth thinking, man, that's, that's genius. 
Thank you, Lord. And you know, the Lord's even interested in that. Here's a little one for you. Ask the Lord to reveal his sense of humor to you. I, when I did that once, the Lord was whispering funnies to me, and I looked like I had a mental health crisis going on because he would drop, <laughs> drop things into it when I was having conversation with people, and I'd have a little snigger <laughs> because the Lord's been you know, sharing his humor. Now, we don't get God Almighty. <laughs> we get God Almighty, but the Lord has a sense of humor. He created us in his image. So get yourself some healthy hobbies if you've not already got I'm preaching to myself here. Something that does your soul good. Paul says, whatever is good, whatever's noble, med- meditate on these things. Get your mind on safe hobbies. If you need something to do you good, that's just as spiritual as a prayer meeting. Right? Play class, model aeroplane club, aerobics, whatever floats your boat. Jesus is happy with you there as much as he is in church. Okay? Find something that floats your boat, that's keeps you from sin, and glorify the Lord in it. He fills your existence with good things. It should make us praise him. And then when we realize we're in that posture of no sacred secular divide, no spiritual church person robot clone versus ordinary normal life, when we realize that God's interested in all of our life, every bit of your life is important to God, you'll find yourself rising up like an eagle. You'll find him restoring your feathers because you know that I've stopped trying to perform now into God's favor. I am accepted in the beloved. I have his favor. And as you sit, that's why the Bible says those who wait on the Lord renew their strength, they will mount up with wings as eagles. Because a lot of us have been trying to work hard to please Jesus all of our life. And let me say this to you. Jesus loves you right now, sat on your butt. Listen, he loved you before you did anything. There's another one. Before you did anything. You need to cut yourself some slack and start just being hugged on by your dad, your father in heaven. Let him love on you. Let him love on you today. Amen. Forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, crowns you with loving kindness, tender mercies, satisfies your existence with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles who grow back their feathers. And if you settle in these things, you'll rise up strong again, even if you're in a pit at the moment. Amen.